This is why very rich people don't want to leave their fortunes to their children. They know that they're ill-equipped to run them. They didn't go through the same slings and arrows. They didn't jump off a cliff. They were raised rich, etc., etc. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, December 11th, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I discuss Matt Bellany's market-moving scoop for Puck, that Sherry Redstone might finally be in deal mode with Paramount, and who she might be selling the company to. We also look at an emerging squabble between CNN and ABC News over a pair of Republican primary debates in New Hampshire, ones that voters probably won't care much about. We'll discuss all that and much, much more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am, I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by SleepMe comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy monday everybody if it's monday that means it's media monday and i of course am joined by the boss man john kelly john i hope you had a lovely weekend and that you were just feeling as festive as possible Great weekend, Peter. Spent it with the Mills and their new dog, and um, it was great to see you and Katie down in the people's house. I thought that was a we, we, we had a fun night. It was it was great to see you. It was great to see uh, super fan Tim Miller down there, who looked like he'd come out of a sort of um, White House Rick Ross uh, video. We had a lot of talk about uh, White House um, attire, and um, it was a blast. Did you like? Did you guys take selfies in front of you know portraits of famous presidents and first ladies? Uh, I just, uh, uh, Katie took a selfie in front of the Melania Trump portrait. That was about it. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, we didn't do that. We we did have a blast eating the cookies. Um, the smoked salmon was delightful. We, we're talking, by the way, for people listening about the White House holiday party. One of several White House holiday parties. This was the one several. Of the 
media ones we went to. John and I were both there. But yeah, a lot of a lot of fun people, uh, a lot of a lot of friends, a lot of media people, but also some White House people, and also like, man, I lived in D.C. for ten years. The holidays in D.C. are are maybe the best time of year there. It feels like really cozy and festive in a way that like New York, New York definitely does, but like not not a ton of other cities at least. I don't know. It's just really really nice. It's really really pleasant, and it was good to be back during the holidays. Lots of I, I co-signed that, and but before we move on, to just just one anecdote that uh, stuck out to me. It, it was a lovely night, and we were looking for the Melania portrait, so I'm glad that uh, you guys found it. Uh, but we, we were talking to Tim Miller, uh, the aforementioned, when he came up to, to chat, and he mentioned something about a past Media Monday episode, and you said something to Katie who said, I don't ever listen to this show. And uh, I laughed because uh, Rebecca, my wife, uh, sort of seldom does as well. And then Katie said to you something that I thought was just like a, a brilliant retort. You said, when you start to look at my decks and presentations, then I'll start to listen to your little <laughs> podcast. I thought that's a very a sign of a very healthy marriage. So Very healthy. Very healthy indeed. Uh, I appreciate her wisdom at all times. John, uh, I want to start with a big puck news, a story that our boy Matt Bellany mm-hmm. broke late last week that David Ellison and Skydance Media are in talks to either... Maybe, and we don't know yet, NDAs have been signed, but these conversations are happening, according to Matt, to either buy Paramount or take a majority stake in their parent company, National Amusements, uh, Inc. This would you know, allow Sherry Redstone to unload Paramount. The markets reacted very positively to Matt's scoop. They got, like Literally, yeah. I just looked like the last five-day trend in Paramount stock. And it popped like twenty or thirty percent on this on this yeah. news that Puck broke. Thanks, thanks to Matt. Warren Buffett, the largest Paramount shareholder, should send Matt a fruit basket. One, John, what do you make of these talks? And two, just for people listening, can you like just give a little cliff notes on what Skydance Media is, uh, in fact, and also why they sure. might be interested in Paramount? This is one of those like patently made for puck fantasy stories and i've almost been um i've been ecstatic over this since the moment on wednesday afternoon when we were you know in dc i think i was like pressing my shirt and matt first mentioned that he had this and that he was pursuing it i I, i've been doing cartwheels since so (laughs) let let me uh uh, zoom out to the thirty thousand foot view and then we'll come in because this is a very 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 big deal with a lot of ramifications and also like a lot of extraordinary sort of Shakespearean touches. So longtime listeners and, and readers of Puck will know that National Amusements is the parent company that Sumner Redstone started, uh, God, probably in the 60s at this point. It's a Boston-based company that owns a bunch of movie theaters, I mean, you know, maybe 80, something at this point, has a certain amount of debt and um, about, I think, a billion dollars uh, plus in debt. And it controls about 80% of the voting interests in Paramount Global and owns about 10% of the economic stake. So a, a stake that's worth about $1 to $1.1 billion, thanks to the, the, the Bellany boost the other day. <laughs> and if we recall, Sumner Redstone, like, <laughs> may he rest in peace, clearly a terrible person, probably the, the worst father you could ever ask for. But when you think about the media environment that you and I inherited he was truly one of the forebears. I mean, a- along with, you know, guys like Diller and, you know, beyond the sort of Jerry Levin, you know, level, um, he was a lawyer, which is important to mention because he created deal flow through tenacious M&A that, that uh, becomes relevant in a second here. He built up the assets 
deal by deal. He bought what was once Gulf and Western, which was the, the, the Paramount assets. He bought Viacom, all the cable assets, and he combined these things all together in, in 1995. And if you remember, um, he later split them. And for my sort of you know early media career, you had CBS Corp, which was run by Les Moonves, and you had uh, Viacom, which was run by Tom Freston. And these were larger-than-life businesses. I mean, when you think about what was a, a, a part of um, CBS in the film studio from Gulf and Western, and then uh, Viacom on the other side with Nickelodeon, Comedy Central in its heyday, MTV, these were extraordinarily valuable. I think they were at their nexus, you know, 20 to $25 billion dollars. And Sumner had split them because he believed that they should be valued differently. One was a set of cable assets. And, and don't forget, like, Peter, we came of age with the, the new establishment. They were all cable pioneers, the Malone generation, the Diller generation. This is when Zaz was still in short pants, coming into his own. And on the other hand, you had linear and, and, and movies and, and other assets, a, a, a book publisher, Simon Schuster, and a million other things. And... We all sort of, I think, uh, are familiar uh, on this show with what happened afterwards. Late stage Sumner was not pretty. Uh, you know, he'd exiled his daughter Sherry, which becomes very relevant here mm-hmm. for years during the duration of the core of her working life, like forty to ages forty to sixty. He'd taken up um, with his extraordinary wealth with a couple of girlfriends. Um, Manuela Herzner is one name. I can't. Sydney Holland, I think, was the other. I mean, it's too complicated, but our boy. Bill Cohan, our partner, um, wrote a, a seminal piece in, in Graydon Era Vanity Fair that documented it. Um, and, you know, Sherry uh, then wrestled back control of the empire from her father. Now, I think there are two versions of this. This is where this is really, really relevant. Uh, one version is that Sumner, in his dotage, had, you know, begun to make decisions that would whittle away the, the fortune. He'd fired Tom Freston and replaced him with Philippe Dumont. Possibly, and I'm not being facetious here, like the Ryan Leaf of media CEOs. <laughs> no, no, but, but seriously, the, the, uh, probably the worst media CEO in history. D- didn't commit fraud. What was a lawyer was was uh, you know, had a similar background to Sumner, uh, so he thought he was this you know Machiavellian deal guy. Truly, the most horrific CEO ever. Uh, had this bundle of cable assets, didn't realize the, the the declining terminal value. Sat there and paid himself about you know 45 million dollars a year. So Sherry comes in and combines CBS and Viacom against her father's previous wishes. Finally, Alice Dumont, the, the Moonves thing, took care of itself, puts it in the hands of Joe Ionello, who'd been the once very loyal uh, Moonves uh, uh, deputy, who then exits stage right with a $100 million payout, brings in Bob Backish because of his extreme loyalty to Sherry. There is truly a Shakespearean element here. Don't forget, Sherry was absent during the core, the heart of her career, when the media was, when the industry was changing precipitously, when, when Netflix was arriving, when things were moving towards streaming, when these variegated assets no longer made sense, and she had been out in the wilderness. And I mean, I, again, I'm not Freud. You know, what, what's the famous line from, you know, when he was promoting the ego in the 80s, he said the, the, and the Irish are impervious to psychoanalysis. I, so I don't pretend to, 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 to cast it on anyone else here, but. But there is an attempt of father taming that it seems to be, or father placating that seems to be very, very real here. And so Sherry put the assets together, put Bob Bagish, who was a supporter of hers and, and a sounding board and someone that she trusted, in charge. And that all sells, sounds well and good. And she did it for tax avoidance consequences so that she could sell them both together. But here's the big thing, amigo. Yes, she wrestled the assets from the girlfriends. Congratulations. But Paramount 
and CBS were each worth about 20-ish billion dollars around the time she was plotting to do this. The combined entity is worth like 10 billion dollars now. Sumner Redstone's wealth in 2015, his 10% stake, the family's 10% stake in the national amusements assets was $5 billion. It's $1 billion now. So this is a destruction on some level of 80% of the family's wealth, okay, wow. in a very short period of time. And again, and I don't want to be long in the tooth here. I'm not dramatic. I can only fantasize about this kind of wealth. This is why very rich people don't want to leave their fortunes to their children. They know that they're ill-equipped to run them. They didn't go through the same slings and arrows. They didn't jump off a cliff. They were raised rich, et cetera, et cetera. And I know, you know, Sherry has a various periods of sort of intermittent uh, estrangement from her father. But the deal that Matt reported, to finally get to your question here after all that buildup, <laughs> points out that, that Red Bird, run by Jerry Cardinal, very smart guy, really, in my opinion, great guy, and David Ellison are interested in buying the NAI stake, i.e. they want to buy out Sherry's 80% voting control and 10% economic stake to take on some of the liabilities and, and assets and debt of NIA, but also control Paramount. And I presume go on a selling spree, sell everything they can, sell the film studio Paramount to Netflix. I, I, I'm not in Jerry's head, I'm not in David Ellison's head. I'm just being presumptive here. Sell it to Netflix or, or just give it to Sky Dance, uh, David Ellison's company, which you know Red, Redbird's investor in. Sell BET, which they tried to sell to Tyler Perry previously. Sell off the cable bundle, maybe Apollo is interested in, in this. Potentially move CBS, maybe sell, sell some of these assets to the, the David Zaslov um, outfit mm. at WBD. But really, you know, move through a, um, a a very marshaled sale process. And is that worth it? it, it does it make more sense to sell um, uh, to, to, for them to come into the NI, NAI level or to just to try and buy Paramount? I don't know, but I imagine. And this is the, the, the unknowable part. You know, would there be extraordinary shareholder lawsuits? What if Sherry sold her one billion stake for two billion, and all these investors in Paramount Global, many of whom sued because they never wanted this roll up in the first place, uh, will they try and sue her into smithereens? I don't know, man. But what I do know is that what Bill has been writing forever, and Matt's been writing, and Dylan's been saying forever, the white flag's up there, and they are trying to sell this thing. The Times reported, you know, took the Times seventy-two hours to 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 match Matt's reporting. They reported that um, that. Sherry and Byron Trot, her banker, who is the the, the sort of preeminent uh, merchant bank, M&A banker of our time, truly an absolute gangster, um, have been holding talks with with other streamers. And anyway, she's open for business. This is going to be the greatest media sale of, of our lifetime. All right, John, thank you for that detailed explanation. Of what's going <laughs> my, on? My soliloquy on the Paramount assets. Yeah, sorry, really uh, long in the tooth there. You know, not well. You could have uh, written the book that came out last year about Paramount or the, or the Redstones. That was a bestseller. I want to take a quick break, John. When we come back, I want to talk about CNN and ABC dueling for presidential debates in New Hampshire. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky 
co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Powers of Beer, everybody. It's Media Monday. Dylan Byers reported this week. This is a this episode is just harvesting other people's reporting, but we are giving them due praise. Dylan wrote the story that was pretty interesting to me, in part because, like, having worked at CNN uh, for so long and, and covering presidential campaigns, I feel like I've been to every iteration of a presidential <laughs> debate, like primary, Democratic, Republican, general election, all the all the you know, colleges and universities that host them. Um, I've been to other networks uh, debates along with CNN, um, pals with Mark Preston, who is CNN's debate partnership maestro. He always gets the job done. CNN announced last week that they were going to host two Republican primary debates, one in Iowa, one in New Hampshire in January before the caucuses, before the primary. And the New Hampshire one is going to be on January 21st. It's St. Anselm's College, St. A's, uh, up there in Goffstown, <laughs> right outside of Manch, Manchganistan. Then, according to Dylan's reporting, this caught ABC News by surprise and St. Anselm College by surprise, too, because ABC had been planning a Republican primary debate on January 18th, just two or three days before, at St. Anselm College. They've had a partnership with, with Institute of Politics there going back many years. And CNN had to come out and be like, uh, we didn't mean to like add to any confusion here. Um, Neil Levesque, old pal, executive director of uh, the IOP at St. A's, said, quote, School officials were surprised to be included on a press release by a network about a debate which we had not planned or booked. So I don't know where the miscommunication is here. But this basically means that CNN and ABC will be having like back-to-back Republican debates (laughs) in New Hampshire like on January 18th and January 21st. The RNC is not involved in these. They're they're done with their debates and they've told the candidates, you guys can go debate uh, wherever you want. All these lower card, undercard, second tier candidates want the attention. So it, it seems likely that DeSantis, he's already said he'll he'll play ball in the Iowa debate at least. Uh, and Vivek, who loves attention more than anybody on the planet, uh, he'll definitely do it. <laughs> so it's like, what what is all this for? It just it seems it seems like an interesting mess. And I don't know, it might be kind of a small story, but I'm I'm interested in it because I just love watching these network rivalries unfold. Well, I feel like you're the expert here, so I should defer to you, especially after my my endless uh, uh, redstone rant. But I got to say, we've entered silly season here, you know, where, where these networks that try and act so high minded have now taken the football from uh, the RNC. And are, are they staging debates? One must ask because they think that we need to understand the candidates better. Or are they doing so for for blatant ratings grabs? Um, I, I think the answer is increasingly clear. And everyone especially in a Trump-adjacent environment, is committing a micro-sin of what they committed in 2016 when they're, they're trying to sort of to take advantage of the heated political environment to boost ratings. And mm-hmm. it's gross. It's it's tacky. And, I mean, y- you tell me, man, but, like, we know that DeSantis is toast. He's pulling 
below Haley in, in you know in various polls. Now you're, you're right about Vivek, who's just the most annoying person that was ever created. I mean, that, that, that guy just sucks. Like, get him out of here as soon as possible. Uh, you've been early and often on the Haley ambition, and I give you a lot of credit. Maybe she is somebody who we have to uh, take seriously in 2024, which is something I never thought I'd say here. But but absent Trump, this is just all, uh, it's a charade, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, look, I think that we all, you know, in the national press have been dismissive of Ron DeSantis. He still has, like, the math is actually better for him than Nikki Haley because, you know, MAGA primary voters actually like Ron DeSantis still. Like the media right. doesn't like Ron DeSantis, but primary voters do. Um, Nikki Haley's problem is, yeah, she's come up in the polls because she's consolidated some non-Trump Republican support. But that's very minimal. I mean, it's it's going to be like, I, I don't know. I just don't see the Nikki Haley path. I, I sort of gamed it out um, in, a, in a column for the best and the brightest a couple weeks ago. Like it's she's got to run a complete inside straight. Trump has to somehow implode it just i just don't see it and then as it relates to the networks yeah they want the ratings um part of it too is is there is a little bit of petty competition like i said between the networks and these rivalries like they want to prove that they're relevant that they too can get a debate mm-hmm. that they're in the conversation and you know mark thompson is is now you know the new guy on top of cnn and we know that chris licht was also trying to land some republican debates not mm-hmm. knowing explicitly what Mark's like political ambitions for CNN are, you know, he going looking back at at his time at the BBC. I mean, it, it seems like he wants to just play it, you know, play it straight, call balls and strikes. Um, but you know, wants to be in on the Republican primary game here. And CNN's strength, by the way, has always been debates. I mean, you can stepping back academically, like if I'm playing like Jay Rosen here, like. You can question the usefulness of these debates, people raising their hands. It's all stupid. It's all gamesmanship. It like reduces the discourse into stupid little sound bites, whatever. But they are and have been functionally a very important part of the primary process going back mm-hmm. as far as I can remember. And CNN does them really well. I mean, they just mm-hmm. really, they just get the spectacle of it. They get the production. Like they're just good at it. And so they haven't had a chance to flex their muscles this cycle because there's no Democratic primary to speak of. And then, you know, the RNC kind of like iced out non-conservative TV networks. And so here's an opportunity for both ABC and CNN to be like, hey, like we're good at this. Like we're going to get our, right. you know, we're going to flex our muscles again and like do what we're good at. Um, but I don't know on the part of voters who's interested in back to back 18th, 19th, 2021, like three, four, two debates in four days. I think that mm-hmm. did happen. Something like that, like two debates in one week in a past Republican cycle. Maybe um, I remember like traveling from somewhere to somewhere, like in the court, like getting on a plane in the morning after a debate and flying to some other place where there was going <laughs> to be a debate. There've been debates pretty close to each other before, but I can't remember two being, this close, but also right. again, if, if this was like a Hillary Obama like boxing match, if this was like a Trump, uh, you know, 2016 kind of debate, I think there'd be an appetite for it. But if it's like Christie and but Haley and DeSantis it's and Vivek, not. like what's it? What's it for? It's like just I don't know. Uh, just I don't see. I, I can see these things moving the needle slightly in one direction within the contained group of second tier candidates, but. So far, none of the debates have had an impact on Donald Trump, and yeah. he has been actually pretty smart 
to avoid these things. Yeah, he's he's forex them. But wait, let me ask you a question because you, you brought up. Um, we were texting about this earlier this morning. I feel like in this last week, and maybe it's just me or, uh, and a couple of pieces in Axios, um, uh, some of which you know fed off details actually that our, our partner Tina Wen had had um, covered in the past. But I feel like the Trump the Trump campaign has been more forthright about leaking out their information about their presumptive administration, you know, details about being dictator for a day, um, moving people into the, the, the permanent class, which I think a lot of Trumpists feel like was a big mistake that they were so disorganized in 2016 that they didn't have the right bureaucrats in place. Um, but I got the first vibe this week of how spooky or last week i should say how spooky this all seems and and you know part of that is multiplied by by biden's vulnerability is this just my own sort of uh aging sensitivity or did you feel this as well i think there's a couple things going on one i think the press has been sensitive and responsive to uh calls criticisms demands that they talk about the stakes of this election and you know, what it means for democracy. I think that, you know, the, the kind of like do better crowd on Twitter has been yelling at the media, like, stop like equating Joe Biden and Donald Trump. <laughs> They're not like the same thing. They don't operate in the same uh, political space in any way. And I think the press has been documenting lately Trump's calls to, you know, for mass deportations or just basically like outlining, here's what he's saying. Like, we should probably <laughs> listen to him and take him literally. Uh, and then, you know, sometimes it's hard to, like, the dictator thing on Sean Hannity the other night. He said, I will, him and Hannity were going back and forth, and Hannity asked him, like, about, like, if you get into office, are you going to abuse power, you know, to exact retribution <laughs> on your enemies? And, like, he's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to be a dictator except on day one to, <laughs> you know, build the wall, you know? Like, and so, yes. We should like listen to him and, and take him seriously when he says these things. But in that moment, he just can't sure. resist the jest as well. So it's like, you know, I don't know if he's sitting in, in Mar-a-Lago plotting out like dictatorship 2024. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I don't I do think that, you know, and maybe there's some credit here to, to Susie Wiles and Chris Lasavita who are, who are running yep. a, a much more steady totally. campaign than his past two. But they are being deliberate about what they're putting out there. Like they like Trump yep. Trump has a way of giving a speech, giving remarks, making a comment. Some of it's offhanded, some of it's insane, but some of it he like is able to package deliberate messaging into his sort of like on stage shtick, ha 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 ha. But he's like being deliberate. Um and so I think they have found like a an interesting mind meld uh in that campaign where they speak Trump's voice and they can like sort of put out what they need to through him um, without him totally going off message, even though he goes off message all the time. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I think the press is actually doing a pretty good job right now of covering the stakes of a Trump presidency. And you mentioned, I think that Axios piece, like his, his future cabinet, like who will be in the next cabinet, like Stephen Miller, attorney general. I mean, that seems plausible. Yeah, right. <laughs> like that seems sure. real, Yeah, uh, you know? Um, so you know, I thought JD the access reporting was, was president. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I the, the Trump people said, like, this is all embryonic. And, like, you know, some people are talking. Don't take this stuff too seriously. But everyone who was listed in there, you know, including Steve Bannon, like, seems like a plausible candidate Very for late, senior yeah. roles in, in, the, in the next Trump administration. It seems like he will 
come back as a hardo and go <laughs> like go after the people who were his enemies. That seems like incredibly plausible. So why not cover it <laughs> as if it's a serious, literal thing? Yeah, you make a great point there about the, the Trump has always been an amazing platform for transactionalism. You know, you, you saw it with Jared and Ivanka and Dina Powell and some others who, who were able to sort of use his blind spots to to elevate themselves, you know, um, and in some cases pass legislation, in Jared's case, that were important to them or, or um, get his father uh, pardoned, uh, elevate their profile, et cetera, et cetera. Las Vida and Susie Wiles have done an amazing job of, I think, and I, I actually mean this as a compliment, using later stage Trump, who's not traveling as much, who's in Mar-a-Lago more, who's got this this legal defense fund that is um, always churning, to actually run a functional campaign, and and they've been unbelievably professional about it. And you know, like things will change when when he's present more you know i think that part of the recently sagging biden narrative is because trump is just in hiding you know in, in, uh, nationally so that will change but they've done a pretty credible job of running a professional campaign uh, around this guy uh, to their credit and it'll help them in the long term john thank you for your political insights as always yeah. uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I know throw those uh, in the garbage you're right <laughs> uh and again shout out to matt for a great scoop for us uh on the paramount stuff have a great week everybody all right see you peter thanks so much for listening to another episode of the powers that be as a reminder the powers that be is the official podcast of puck we'd like to thank ben landy liz goff and alex bigler for their editorial and production guidance If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Ben Landy. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Odyssey. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Bob Tabador, and Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck.